You are listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant. We're an evangelical covenant church located outside of Ellsworth in western Wisconsin. I'm Todd Speaker, the pastor here, and you can learn more about us on our website, BethelCov.org. Thanks for listening. Amen. Amen. So we are, um, one time I heard a, a like dorky pastor story, this isn't in the plan, um, about some like pastor or whatever that preaches the same sermon every week, right? And, and every week, you know, he gets up there and he preaches the same sermon. Many of you probably think, yeah, I know that pastor. No. <laughs> um, and as people go out the first time, like they're like, oh, you know, great sermon pastor. The second time, you know, they're like, okay. And the third time somebody comes up and they say, you know, like, what? Like, what's the, why are you preaching this? We've heard it all before. And he says, and this is like pastor humor. He says, well, when you start doing it, I'll stop saying it. You know, it's like, ha, 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 ha. But the reality uh, probably should be is when, uh, when the preacher starts doing it, maybe they'll stop saying it too, right? Because uh, we're all in the same, we're all in the same boat. Um, and so I, I say that because we've been in um, Ephesians 6 for the last um, 35 weeks. Uh, not really, but uh, this is our last Sunday in Ephesians. So if you want to turn to Ephesians 6, um, we're going to be focusing on like two verses. And if, if you know me, you know that we don't often focus on parts of Scripture that short, but it just felt worth it to, to finish the book. And I'll kind of explain why a little bit. So we've, we've been reading Ephesians this summer. And I didn't uh, say this when it started. That Ephesians uh, is actually... Uh, kind of a, a personal, uh, it's a little personal to me as a book of the Bible. I, I love, I've always loved Ephesians. And the reasons, reason why is when I was in high school, I heard a, a Christian speaker who had, who had memorized a bunch of books of the Bible. And that was his, his shtick, right? Oh, you know, he'd memorized a bunch of the New Testament and he would, um, repeat it from memory and then he would talk about it. It was really cool. And as a high school kid, I was just like, wow, like how, like, I was not like the Awana kid that had all the patches for all the memory verses. Like, I'm terrible at memorizing things. It's not who I am. And even to this day, um, I'm, just, I'm just bad at it. But, but I sat in that thing, and I, as a high school student, I was like, you know, I want to be able to do that. You know, I, I heard him, and he talked. He's like, it's not that hard. You just got to read it every night before you go to bed and say it, you know, read it a couple times. And I was like, okay, I, I can do this, you know. Um, and so the book that I chose was, was Ephesians for two reasons. One, probably because it, it, I just found it early. And two, it's like pretty short, right? It's not, it's not too, it's not as short as like the shortest book in the New Testament, but the shortest book in the New Testament is kind of confusing and it's like, I don't know. But so I picked Ephesians and for that year, I think it must have been like the summer of my junior or senior year, but I, I just would read it every single night before going to bed. I'd read it out loud. I'd repeat it again and again. I'd try and and memorize it. And, and I never, I'll be honest, right, confession time, I never quite got there. I didn't. Um, my life changed. Maybe I went to college. I can't remember what happened, but something happened that my routine changed, and I stopped doing it, you know, and it just, and I had big sections of it memorized, but it would kind of kind of fade away. Uh, but it's always, uh, parts of it have always stuck with me. It's always had kind of a special uh, place for me. And, and I had hoped, as I was memorizing it, that if I could remember it, if I could get it inside of me, that somehow that it would get me closer to God, right? That it would solve a, a you know, a problem that I, that I had, whatever it was I was dealing with at that time, that it would really change my faith in some profound way. And, 
And I don't know that it ever did, but it did shape me a little bit. Um, but it, the part that we're looking at today was as I was memorizing Ephesians, um, and I don't have any of it hardly anymore, uh, but it was like totally forgettable to me. Okay, this is like, um, it's totally forgettable. And so I'm going to read it, Ephesians 21 uh, through 24, and I, and I believe it can be right, yeah, it's probably already up or right there up on the screen. It goes like this. Um, and I'm going to say his name wrong for sure, but I'll say it confident. I always tell, always tell confirmation kids when they read scripture, just say the name. You don't say it however you think it's supposed to be said. And like, don't stop because people assume that that's correct. You know, if you just say it confidently. So I'm going to do that today. Um, so, so Tychius, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. This is the very end of the letter. So Paul says, I'm sending you my friend uh, Tychius, or however you say that right, Um, and he's going to encourage you. Isn't that great? And then he finishes the last two verses. He says, "And, and peace to the brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. And to me, when I was reading that, maybe you feel this way too, um, not to like, you know, like talk down on, on scripture or anything, but it's like, it's kind of a little forgettable, right? It, to me, it reads like, like hugs and kisses signed Paul, right? It's just skip over it. He's just saying, okay, have a great week, you know, have some grace and love and, and whatever, you know, hugs and kisses Paul. And, and most of the time when you read uh, the New Testament letters, the beginnings when Paul's talking about whoever it is talking about who they are and who he's sending the letter to and the ends where he's like, you know, peace and love and faith, Paul. You know, you kind of skip over those things and, and preachers rarely preach on them. I almost didn't, didn't preach on them. Most of the time I skipped right over it. And as I was memorizing Ephesians, I was just like, okay, great. You know, that's cool. Um, You know, it's just like hugs and kisses, Paul, right? Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus with an undying love. You know, it's, it hits those four big like churchy words, right? We, we all want to be about peace and love and faith and grace. And, and isn't that great? Um, they seem obvious to us as Christians. If you grew up in the church, you've heard the word love, especially these days, like a billion, million times, which is appropriate because the Bible uses that word a lot, uh, but it sort of loses its meaning. Um, peace, love, faith, and grace. And <clears throat> it just seems so forgettable. Um, I'm really selling this one this week, guys, right? <laughs> um, but, but the more I read, as I was getting ready to kind of close the book on this, I, I took one more chance to read through Ephesians. And I want to invite you to do that this week. Um, read through Ephesians and look for these four words. Uh, Look for what Paul has to say about each of these because he makes a point of using them again at the very end. The last things he wants them to remember are these these four words and his closing blessing. He wants them to have these things. And believe it or not, if you read uh, Ephesians, you'll find these kind of structuring the whole letter. And you'll find that Paul actually defines each of these words uh, in, in Ephesians as he goes. Is the more I read, the more I look backwards into Ephesians, um, I, I found that there's, there's a lot more in, in these words. And so a little structure lesson that I promise we'll, we'll move on. Um, you know, the, the first four chapters of Ephesians, if you want to understand the book really fast, and we've been in it for a while, 
Uh, the first four chapters are all about how God provided peace, love, faith, and grace to, uh, in this case, the church in Ephesus, but to people, to human beings. So that's chapters one through four. If, if you ever, you know, on the quiz, right, one through four is about what peace, love, faith, and grace mean and look like. And the last two chapters, it's basically like Paul says, this is what God has given you. And the last two chapters says, okay, this is what it looks like or might look like to live like you've received those things from, from God, right? God gave you the car in chapters one through four, and in chapters uh, five and six, it's like, this is how you drive it without crashing the car, you know? Um, you know, so, and if you go through, you'll find these things. I'm just going to summarize them really quick. Uh, but if you, as you look through Ephesians 1, I encourage you this week, like, just read Ephesians again. Put these four words in front of you, because uh, you'll find that peace, um, you know, when I hear it in a blessing, it's like kind of like inner peace. That's what I'm imagining. But but it's, act, or, or like the absence of conflict. You know, we live in a time full of conflict. We think peace means no conflict. Um, but believe it or not, uh, as Paul describes it, peace is less about the absence of conflict and disagreement, um, or even people getting over their differences or finding ways to get along. Um, it's it's instead this much bigger healing peace, uh, not just peace with other people, but peace with God and how peace with other people can actually flow out of uh, peace with God. Uh, for Paul in Ephesians, uh, uh, peace is about acknowledging the things that separate us, but crossing those boundaries anyway because of the boundaries that God has crossed to come to us. Uh, love is not the like mushy, self-censored feeling of you know like pop music songs, right? It's it's about the love of God for us that He acted on by pouring out Christ's blood on our behalf. And in the second section, it's about how because that's been poured out for you, here's how you ought to be like Christ. Pour yourself out. Faith, um, and faith is one again that we just we have a spot for it in our brain. We just plug it in there. Faith is not the, the me-focused act of trying really hard to believe, right? Faith isn't about, oh, if I can just believe a little harder for Paul. But as Paul talks about faith, most of the time he's talking about God's faithfulness to us and what it means to live your life like you believe that the God of the universe is ultimately faithful to you. Um, uh, so that only out of God's abundant faithfulness to us first can we have the security um, to live uh, faithfully in life, to have, to have faith. And finally, grace, you know, that classic church word. Uh, for Paul, it's, it's abundantly given by God when he closes the distance with us, when he offers us peace and faith and love, even though we were still his enemies. So, so these four words, they define the gospel of Ephesians. And again, uh, if you're watching, if you're here with us, read Ephesians this week and tell me you can't just see these four words just like over and over and over again. I sat down, I was going to share this with you, and I just started underlining every time I saw the word peace, faith, and love and kind of the context, and you'll just be, you'll be amazed at, at what Paul's doing here. Um, but this is, what he's, so this is what he's trying to say, right? If the first four chapters of Ephesians are about how the good news is all about God providing peace, peace, love, faith, and grace to us, the last two are about living like God has given you, peace, love, faith, and grace. Um, what he's trying to say at the very end, the very last sentence, you know, and, and we've been talking about how Paul is encouraging us in chapter 6 to, to remain standing, 
to not give up, to do, um, to do some things to make sure you can, can remain standing together. Um, this is how he ends it, right? This is the last thing he wants them to say. He spent the whole time talking about this, and he says, okay, now I want you to receive this. This is what Paul wants for the church. I think this is what God wants for our church too, that you would receive peace as brothers and sisters, that you would receive love with faith. And, and again, um, if you look uh, into the Greek, and as I was reading commentaries on this, you know, faith is, is, God, is probably God's faith towards us, his faithfulness towards us, that you would receive peace and share it, that you'd receive love and share it, that you would receive God's faithfulness and live out of it, faith from the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that you would receive grace and there's a little, uh, that verse 24, there's a little controversy, whether or not Paul's trying to say, um, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus with an undying love. That's one way to read it. The other uh, way to read it is, is undying grace and love from our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a grammatical difference. It, it could go either way. But the point is, these four things are provided in abundance to those who turn to Christ. And Ephesians shows us in the later chapters how those things are, are lived out. So Paul says this, right? You've been given this, now, now live it. And when I think back to uh, high school Todd in his bedroom reading Ephesians, uh, trying to memorize a book, to the Bible, a book of the Bible, trying to like, you know, like we all are, trying to be better, trying to do what we're supposed to do, trying to fight temptation and selfishness. Um, I can see how my temptation in, in those days, reading those words, was to say, uh, it's better to work backwards, right? It's, instead of receiving those things from God to say, okay, I'm a Christian, I believe in God, I need to make sure that my life is full of peace and love and faith and grace. And so when I have doubts, I'm going to like, pretend I don't have doubts, you know? No, nobody else, right? Right, yeah. When I have doubts, I'm going to pretend, when I don't feel like loving somebody, I'm going to like smile a little bit bigger and like gut it out and show them love. Um, you know, when I am not experiencing peace in my relationships, I'm going to like do whatever I can to eliminate conflict or, or whatever. You know, I think a lot of times as Christians, we actually, we work harder. Our temptation is to drum up in ourselves peace because we think, well, the Bible says I shouldn't worry, so I need to make sure I feel peace or drum up faith. Our temptation is to try and, or, or, and then as Christian leaders or as church people, as people that have friends that you pray for or care for or whatever, uh, the temptation continues. <laughs> it continues to say, okay, I'm supposed to have peace, love, faith, and grace for other people. Um, and I have friends that need those things. I'm going to focus my attention on giving my friends the things that they need, right? Uh, I may not be feeling peace, but I'm going to you know, get other people to do it. Our temptation is to try and give others, help other people by giving them things that we don't have. We draw from a, a dry well. Uh, we fake it till we make it, right? We're good church people. We want to give or experience grace, peace, love, and faith to others. So we, we try and manufacture it in ourselves, uh, another thing that happened to me when I was in high school, this is high school confession time, my parents thought it would be, um, this isn't their fault, sorry, mom. <laughs> they thought I needed to learn about money, so they gave me all the money that I needed uh, to buy clothes and to eat at school on the first day of school on a, on a credit card, and I learned what overdraft means, <laughs> right? right? And, and I think we, we, do, we do overdraft, 
with, with our faith. We say, I've got faith, I've got to give it. And so we swipe and we swipe and we swipe for others without ever receiving them from God, from a, from a dry well. And what happens is it can seem like it's working really great. People look at us and they say, man, right? Overdraft. They, they see, man, peace, love, faith, grace in that person. And you can do that really great for a few years, but pretty soon you get pretty tired and it, and it blows up. You know, the fee comes due eventually. And, and what happens often is, and what I've seen in my own life, and I've tried to do this, and what I often see in the lives of others as well, that we try and replace um, God's peace that crosses boundaries, that heals the whole world, that reconciles people and brings them together. And we replace that with, like, conflict avoidance. You know, maybe we call it tolerance, or maybe we call it... Um, you know, well, we're not going to talk about that. How dare you bring up that, that difference we have? We replace peace with, with conflict avoidance. We replace God's boundless love poured out for us and all people with a, a big smile and a conditional love that says, well, if you live in this way, I can love you. I'll show you my love until you do something I, I don't like, and then it's, it's the cold shoulder. Uh, we replace God's faithfulness and trust in us, to us, for us, with this drummed-up faith. It says, if I can find the perfect argument, the best evidence, or the, the right thing to believe in, the clear answer to every question, then I can just believe hard enough to where God will love you. And that, that faith is threatened, right, by faith, or by questions and by, by doubts. We replace God's freely poured out favor, his grace with self-justification, comparison with others, and deeply buried under layer and layer of concrete and dirt guilt. We say, we just, we just pour it all out on top of our guilt. And the problem is that, right, we can't give somebody what we've never received. Um, there's a story in, in the Gospel of John, kind of about this. Jesus talks about this in John. And one of the interesting things about the Bible is it was written by people that lived in a dry place, right? They lived in a place where the location of fresh water meant everything. And so you'll find throughout the Old Testament especially uh, references uh, to, um, to water and, oh, they found water here and this was a blessing from God. Um, there's this thing in the Old Testament called living water. And, and that means, in Hebrew, it means like flowing water. And so there were some like practices that you couldn't do at the temple unless you had good like flowing, living water from a stream, you know, not from a well or, or for something else. Uh, because in, in the ancient world where they lived, like your whole life depended on fresh water or, or not. And so there, the images are everywhere. Like Psalm 1, uh, it says, you know, if you want to, you know, you ought to be like a tree planted by a stream of moving water, like living water. If you want to prosper, you be close to the water. This made sense to all of them. Uh, and the Old Testament uses this as a metaphor all the time. And, and Jesus picks up on this uh, theme in the Gospel of John when he meets a woman drawing water from a well. Um, and she's, she's a Samaritan woman. She's drawing water from a well. And most Jews at the time would have believed that she was worshiping God in the wrong place, that she was not planted by the stream of, of living water. She's drawing dead water from a well. And Jesus tells her that he can give her a source of living water. And she's like, well, where's this water? Take me to it. And that's not a, a weird question because he's like, oh, you're drawing water from a well. I know where a spring is, is sort of what Jesus says. He says, well, that's not 
not quite what I mean, right? At first she thinks he's, he's referencing this well, and she says, it's okay, Jesus, I can get good water from here. Uh, but Jesus tells her that if you drink from my spring, you'll never be thirsty again because uh, it, it creates a spring of living water inside of you. And now she's thinking, okay, there's something a little different going on. He says, this, this new spring of water, this, this source of water changes everything. Dry places spring to growth. Dead places well up with eternal life. I think sometimes in the church, we're so focused on the results, on the fruit, those four beautiful, wonderful things, the new growth, the change in our lives, the things that God wants for us that we skip right over the living water. But Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water in the well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. We can't draw for others when our own spring is dry. So often we think we can change others by giving them things we don't have to give. We believe in receiving a gospel of sin management, behavior change, rather than one of receiving living water. And so Paul's question, his encouragement, uh, Scripture's question for us is, will we receive what God has to give us or not? Not Will we be better? Will we do everything right? Will we smile harder? Will we believe better? Will we figure our lives out finally? No, the question is always, always, always. And I don't care if you became a Christian 20 years ago or you became a Christian two minutes ago. The question is always whether or not you're willing to receive from God or not. That's the only question that really matters. Am I willing to receive from God or will I keep looking to make my own water? Paul finishes his letter like this because we can only give to others what we've received. We can only live out these things if we have them. We can only love out of a reservoir of love given to us from someone else, somewhere else. We are invited, and as your pastor, when I sat in sermons, and even now when I write them, like my whole life, the only thing I, I ever cared about as the preacher was speaking was like, okay, so what am I supposed to do to fix the problem, Right? What can I do, pastor? It's like, good job. Some pastors are really good at, at showing you the problem, and then the solution comes. You're like, all right, awesome. Write down that line. This is the one thing to do. And Todd, if I was sitting right there in that front row as myself today or as a person, I'd be saying, okay, what's the thing to do? And I would be frustrated by this because today we're invited not to do these four things today. I don't want you to come out of here and say, I want to be a peace person more. I want to love people more. I want to have faith more. Like, those are all good things. Today, our invitation is, is not to do them, but to open our hands up and receive them freely, to take a sip from what God's offering. And so I want to invite you, if you'd like, to pray with me for that, um, and we'll continue with our service of worship, but, but would you pray with me? Lord, the spring inside of me is often dry. The well that I draw from, especially in this season of anxiety and frustration and conflict, it feels dry. I convince myself that if I can only behave better or convince other people to behave better, things would be better. But the truth is, I need your help. 
I can't do it on my own. We need your refreshing spring planted in us. We can't do it on well water. We need your living water. And so, Lord, we admit that we have failed, that we need, that we've sinned. And we believe, Lord, that your son died on our behalf so that death could become life in our own lives too, so that dry wells could become springs of living water. And so for the sake of your son, Jesus, who died and rose, forgive us, make us new. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, turn us into new people, people who have received. We thank you, God, for what you've done in your name. Amen. If you prayed that for the first time or the the fifth time or, or whatever, if you asked God to fill you up with a source of living water, maybe you uncovered that spring that you've piled books and ideas and things on top of, uh, welcome. Thank you for being a part of this. God is at work in you, and he celebrates that you belong to him. Amen? Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can find out more about us and join our live streams at facebook.com slash Bethel Covenant Church. Thanks and have a great week.